Hi, and welcome to Latter-day Saint Discourse. I am your host, Sean Ellsmore. On March 31st of this year, President Russell M. Nelson of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints posted on social media an inspiring piece on truth. It reads as follows, quote, My dear brothers, sisters, and friends, I know that concerns about your health, the health of your families, the economy, and your own employment weigh heavily upon your minds at this time. The COVID-19 pandemic continues to affect lives and disrupt normal activities. This is in addition to other challenges you are no doubt experiencing. The recent earthquakes in Salt Lake City are just one example of additional sources of stress that intensify our worries. These challenges are causing many to feel that the ground is moving beneath them. They wonder what they can really count on in this time of turmoil. This reminds me of a conversation I had not long ago with a dear friend. This man was a senior government official in another nation whom I have known for years. When I last visited him, I was surprised to see him being rolled into our meeting in a wheelchair. This frail friend then spoke. I've been very ill for a long time, he said. Most days I just lie in bed, look up at the ceiling, and long to know what is true. During trying times, few things are as reassuring and comforting as truth. The Apostle Paul foresaw our day and prophesied that trying times would come. He added that many would be ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. What is true is that amid the gloomy darkness of a troubled world, the light of Jesus Christ shines ever brighter. He can speak truth to our hearts and minds as we seek Him and learn to hear Him. End quote. Due to that post, I would like to address the topic of truth. What is truth and how can we come to know it? The Oxford Dictionary defines truth as, quote, that which is in accordance with fact or reality, unquote. I would like to dissect the word truth into two categories, namely objective truth and subjective truth. Objective truth or eternal truth is physical, spiritual, or intellectual knowledge that does not change at its core. A simplified, finite example may be 2 plus 2 equals 4. No matter who you ask that has basic mathematic skills will give you the same answer. Always. It is an objective truth. Another finite example could be if you were to hold up a rock in the middle of a college campus and ask random students as they passed by which law causes the rock in your hand to drop to the ground. <laughs> 
hopefully, every person would state that it is the law of gravity. It is an objective truth. Lastly, and far more imperative and infinitely reaching to us, is the very existence of God, our Father, and we being His literal children. This is objective truth. Now let's address subjective truth. Subjective truth, or my truth, is that which we may consider to be fact or reality in one moment of time and then change or no longer be true in another moment. Let's use the example of food. Since Ty was seven years old, he always loved his mother's homemade lasagna. It was his favorite meal, and he would request it often, especially on his birthday. However, on Ty's 18th birthday, a certain circumstance caused him to change. After enjoying a wonderful lasagna dinner, Ty began to feel ill. Within minutes, he found himself in the bathroom vomiting the dinner he had just enjoyed. Due to that experience, Ty decided that he could no longer eat any type of lasagna. His favorite food would now be something different. So, if you were to ask Ty from ages 7 to 17 what his favorite food was, his answer would have always been lasagna. And for him, it would be true. However, after his vomit incident at age 18, he would now give a different answer, but it would still be true. Subjective truth, though true for one person, is not necessarily true for another. Let's go back to the college campus and stick with food. Say this time you ask passerbys at the college campus what their favorite food was. You would get a variety of answers. Though you were given multiple answers to the same question, are they liars because their answers were not the same? Of course not. It's just subjective truth. With that said, you may find yourself asking, well, how do you know what you think is objective truth is not really subjective? If you just take the topic on the nature of God, for instance, and ask a panel of a hundred people with varying backgrounds to describe the nature and characteristics of God, you will get a variety of answers. A reason for that is we have allowed certain objective truth to be considered subjective. When taking truths that are eternal and giving them the sort of idea that either many roads can lead to the same destination? Or does it really matter? Who cares? To name a few, it is a slippery slope. Though there may be circumstances that allow for that school of thought, with regards to revealed or discovered eternal truth, there is one way, one road, one destination, one truth. So, 
What is a formula we can use to recognize and understand objective truth? This is where the Book of Mormon can help us and shed some light. In the Book of Alma, chapter 32, Alma and his companions are taking the gospel message to the apostate Zoramites. Their message is finding success among the poor class of people who had been kicked out of their own synagogues because of their manner of dress, etc. Alma realizes that they had become sufficiently humble due to their circumstances and were in preparation to hear the word or learn. After Alma speaks about ways we can become humble, he moves to the topic of faith and knowledge. He states in verse 27 that we need to awake and arouse our faculties or have a deep, abiding, honest desire, even to an experimentation of what is being learned, exercising faith. He goes on to explain in verse 28 that if after we humble ourselves, awake and arouse our faculties or desire and experiment on what we are learning, like a seed planted in the ground, the seed of truth can be planted in our hearts and minds. And if it is a true seed, it will begin to grow. It will begin to enlarge in our soul, causing our understanding of that topic to be enlightened and it will become delicious to us. Our understanding will then take root and more understanding can begin to come, increasing line upon line, here a little, there a little. We will recognize that it is actual light and that which is light is good or eternal. If this does not happen, we can come to realize that what is being learned is not eternal as long as we don't allow subjective ideals to get in the way. Lastly, we must nourish our understanding with great care so that it may continue to take root and grow productive, healthy fruit or actions. We are all at different stages of learning and growth. As we learn together, it is important to recognize and respect where another person may be. Currently, my wife Ashley and I are trying to help our three-year-old son understand the dangers of recklessly going into the street without first looking both ways for oncoming traffic. It is a work in progress and certainly tries our patience. Though we want him to learn as soon as possible so he can have the understanding and knowledge to be safe, we recognize that with continued effort, time, and patience, it will come. A tree does not bear fruit just minutes after being planted in healthy soil. In a similar way, I may be able to step into a sixth grade math class and understand what is being taught immediately. However, if I were to step into a college course on aerodynamic engineering, I wouldn't have the slightest clue of what was being taught. 
until I took the time to learn about the subject, line upon line. If not, it could cause great frustration and eventual desire to no longer want to learn that subject. The Apostle Paul states in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, in regards to our preparation to hear certain truth, he states, quote, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, unquote. Elder Bruce C. Hafen added this commentary, quote, One essential element in God's plan is the principle of line upon line, precept upon precept. Not only does he leave to us the initiative to believe, he also imparts to his hearers only what they are ready to hear. Milk comes before meat, unquote. Jesus Christ Speaking to his disciples said in John chapter 16, verse 12, quote, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now, unquote. In the Doctrine and Covenants, section 50, verse 40, the Lord states, quote, Behold, ye are little children, and ye cannot bear all things now. Ye must grow in grace and in the knowledge of the truth, unquote. Elder Boyd K. Packer expounded on these matters when he said, quote, The scriptures teach emphatically that we must give milk before meat. The Lord made it very clear that some things are to be given only to those who are worthy, and I would add prepared. It matters very much, not only what we are told, but when we are told it. Be careful that you build faith rather than destroy it, end quote. What wise words. We do learn from grace to grace. In Doctrine and Covenants section 93, verse 24, the Lord states, quote, And truth is knowledge of things as they are, as they were, and as they are to come, end quote. What a great scripture to end on concerning the topic of truth, how we can come to understand it and help it grow. One last example I would like to leave for all of us to ponder on. Consider for a moment our Savior Jesus Christ and where his knowledge may have been when entering the Garden of Gethsemane to suffer unimaginable pain for all of us. In Luke chapter 22, verse 44, it states, quote, And being in agony, he, speaking of Christ, prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground, end quote the very Savior of all mankind, whose life was perfect, in this pivotal moment, prays more earnestly. In that very moment was our Savior's understanding growing. Something to think about. Until next time.
Hello, and welcome to Latter-day Saint Discourse. In today's episode, we will discuss some methods on how to navigate ambiguity within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Let's begin. First and foremost, what is ambiguity? It means that there are aspects about a certain subject that are unclear, vague, uncertain, or can be hard to understand, possibly in part due to the current information you have. Let's look at a few random examples. Number one, Ashley gave a bath to her dog wearing a black t-shirt. Is the dog wearing the black t-shirt or is Ashley? Number two, I have never tasted ice cream quite like that one before. Was the ice cream being referenced to delicious or disgusting, according to the person eating it? Number three, call me a taxi, please. Is the person speaking asking someone to get them a taxi? Or do they want to be called a taxi? Number four, I saw someone on the hill with a telescope. Did you use a telescope to see someone on the hill? Or did you see someone on the hill having their own telescope? These examples are small statements that are ambiguous in nature. Within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you can also find things that may be ambiguous. A good rule of thumb to determine such examples, as well as the authenticity of the information, could be to ask yourself a series of questions. Here are a few. Number one, who is providing the information? Number two, are they a primary source for information, such as an interview or letter directly from the person providing the details in question? Or is it a secondary source, meaning someone providing secondhand information or commentary, such as a review or a bystander? Or is the information I'm looking at or hearing coming from a third hand or more account? Number three, is the information something that has been sustained and upheld as official from current church leaders? Again, those are just a few example questions. Sister Marie and Elder Bruce E. Hafen have spoken on the subject of ambiguity on numerous occasions. There are three aspects of learning and understanding that they discuss that I think are vital as we look at ambiguity in the gospel and elsewhere. They are termed as simplicity, complexity, and mature simplicity. You may move through these phases as you go from subject to subject or over a lifetime. As children or those new to the church, we may tend to learn very basic, primitive principles about the gospel of Jesus Christ at first. The Apostle Paul may have characterized it as milk before meat. The Hafens term it as simplicity. During this period of learning, 
we take on a basic foundational approach to doctrine, history, and other matters. However, as we mature and expand our minds, we tend to dig deeper into subjects. We start to see areas that are not so easily understood or answered as they may have been when we were younger, new to the church, or maybe we just didn't mind or think about looking into every facet of something until it was brought to our attention. With that said, certain things can become more complex. In fact, the Hafens term this phase of learning as complexity. During this phase of learning, it may become more difficult or complex to understand or explain something that we want to be ideal, but in reality is not. One historical example could be the Mountain Meadow Massacre. As we study and at times wrestle with this experience, we may come away with more questions than answers. Although we may never come to a full knowledge of this September 7, 1857 massacre, as well as all the events that led up to it, we can, however, come with clean motives and an open mind and heart to a heightened level of compassion and even understanding. That doesn't mean we ignore aspects that are hard to digest, not ask difficult questions, or even have concerns. What it does mean is we can weigh the information we have with the questions we discussed earlier in regards to ambiguity and determining authenticity and then take that information to the Lord. And if you like, also discuss it with friends, family, scholars, and church leaders. If it proves to be a stumbling block, we can also weigh the information in question with the foundational doctrines of the gospel. We can also compare it with other similar examples in the scriptures and then ask God for guidance. If we are willing to take these steps in this moment, we are utilizing the last phase of learning, mature simplicity. Again, we don't necessarily ignore difficult realities and the wounds that may be associated with them. There is room for healthy, continuous dialogue. However, it is vital to stay grounded to that foundation upon which the gospel of Jesus Christ sits. Ultimately, the life, teachings, and acceptance of our Savior Jesus Christ and His gospel restored in our day. What are some other tenets of our faith that we can lean on? The 13 articles of faith can be a great starting point. These wonderful pronouncements provide a simple, mature platform to stand on. You may also consider the lessons taught from the Preach My Gospel manual or recent general conference talks. Lastly, the very scriptures of God are an incredible source. As we come to a close, it is my hope that we can see a pattern 
of learning here that we can maneuver through the phases of simplicity, complexity, and mature simplicity. And that when all is said and done, we continue to learn with a desire to be taught by the gift and power of God. Until next time. Hello, and welcome to Latter-day Saint Discourse. In today's episode, we will discuss some methods on how to navigate ambiguity within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Let's begin. First and foremost, what is ambiguity? It means that there are aspects about a certain subject that are unclear, vague, uncertain, or can be hard to understand, possibly in part due to the current information you have. Let's look at a few random examples. Number one, Ashley gave a bath to her dog wearing a black t-shirt. Is the dog wearing the black t-shirt or is Ashley? Number two, I have never tasted ice cream quite like that one before. Was the ice cream being referenced to delicious or disgusting, according to the person eating it? Number three, call me a taxi, please. Is the person speaking asking someone to get them a taxi? Or do they want to be called a taxi? Number four, I saw someone on the hill with a telescope. Did you use a telescope to see someone on the hill? Or did you see someone on the hill having their own telescope? These examples are small statements that are ambiguous in nature. Within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you can also find things that may be ambiguous. A good rule of thumb to determine such examples, as well as the authenticity of the information, could be to ask yourself a series of questions. Here are a few. Number one, who is providing the information? Number two, are they a primary source for information, such as an interview or letter directly from the person providing the details in question? Or is it a secondary source, meaning someone providing secondhand information or commentary, such as a review or a bystander? Or is the information I'm looking at or hearing coming from a third hand or more account? Number three, is the information something that has been sustained and upheld as official from current church leaders? Again, those are just a few example questions. Sister Marie and Elder Brucey Hathen have spoken on the subject of ambiguity on numerous occasions. There are three aspects of learning and understanding that they discuss that I think are vital as we look at ambiguity in the gospel and elsewhere. They are termed as simplicity, complexity, and mature simplicity. You may move through these phases as you go from subject to subject, 
or over a lifetime. As children or those new to the church, we may tend to learn very basic, primitive principles about the gospel of Jesus Christ at first. The Apostle Paul may have characterized it as milk before meat. The Hafens term it as simplicity. During this period of learning, we take on a basic foundational approach to doctrine, history, and other matters. However, as we mature and expand our minds, we tend to dig deeper into subjects. We start to see areas that are not so easily understood or answered as they may have been when we were younger, new to the church, or maybe we just didn't mind or think about looking into every facet of something until it was brought to our attention. With that said, certain things can become more complex. In fact, the Hafens term this phase of learning as complexity. During this phase of learning, it may become more difficult or complex to understand or explain something that we want to be ideal, but in reality is not. One historical example could be the Mountain Meadow Massacre. As we study and at times wrestle with this experience, we may come away with more questions than answers. Although we may never come to a full knowledge of this September 7th, 1857 massacre, as well as all the events that led up to it, we can, however, come with clean motives and an open mind and heart to a heightened level of compassion and even understanding. That doesn't mean we ignore aspects that are hard to digest, not ask difficult questions, or even have concerns. What it does mean is we can weigh the information we have with the questions we discussed earlier in regards to ambiguity and determining authenticity and then take that information to the Lord. And if you like, also discuss it with friends, family, scholars, and church leaders. If it proves to be a stumbling block, we can also weigh the information in question with the foundational doctrines of the gospel. We can also compare it with other similar examples in the scriptures and then ask God for guidance. If we are willing to take these steps in this moment, we are utilizing the last phase of learning, mature simplicity. Again, we don't necessarily ignore difficult realities and the wounds that may be associated with them. There is room for healthy, continuous dialogue. However, it is vital to stay grounded to that foundation upon which the gospel of Jesus Christ sits. Ultimately, the life, teachings, and acceptance of our Savior Jesus Christ and His gospel restored in our day. What are some other tenets of our faith that we can lean on? The 13 articles of faith can be a great starting point. These wonderful pronouncements provide a simple, mature, 
platform to stand on. You may also consider the lessons taught from the Preach My Gospel manual or recent general conference talks. Lastly, the very scriptures of God are an incredible source. As we come to a close, it is my hope that we can see a pattern of learning here, that we can maneuver through the phases of simplicity, complexity, and mature simplicity, and that when all is said and done, we continue to learn with a desire to be taught by the gift and power of God. Until next time.